The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you're, again, if you're visiting with us, we want to let you know there's Bibles on those back tables. It's going to be important that you have it in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please feel free to, to keep that. And uh, that's our gift to you to get into God's Word and see the riches of it. So, so far, we've seen the Lord at work in preparing His people for a new team, a new team of leaders. And the first on this team is Samuel. And Samuel's going to eventually serve as God's prophet, as God's priest, and God's final judge before he establishes God's kingdom. And the Lord, we've seen, hears the woman Hannah's desperate prayer and cry that he would hear her affliction. She's unable to have kids, and he hears it the Lord, and gives her a son, Samuel. And then Hannah promises that Samuel will belong to the Lord and offers her song of praise and thanks to the God who hears and loves his people. And we're picking up where Hannah probably knew was going to eventually happen. In offering Samuel to the Lord, she has to let him go. And that's where we're going to begin in 2 Samuel, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11. I just want to warn you, it's a long passage. So I want to encourage you, hang in there. Try to stay engaged. There's going to be a lot of things in this passage you might not understand. And hopefully by the end of our time, it will make a little more sense to you. So hang in there. So here we go. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. And the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, 
And she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word, we recognize and acknowledge that sometimes coming before your word is confusing. Sometimes coming before your word is unnerving. Sometimes coming before your word, we see things that either we don't understand or we don't like. But I pray, Father, that as we come before your word this morning, that you would show us a good, good father, a father who intercedes for his people. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring clarity to this this passage. It's difficult, Lord. And I pray that you'd help me to get out of the way. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.
it would have been really hard not to look back. As Samuel's parents, Hannah and Elkanah, began their six-hour journey back home, it was probably a much quieter walk without their little Samuel. The sound of his giggles, his hiccups, his whining, his cry when he was angry and hangry, his new vocabulary and all the words that he was learning, it's now just a memory. Their little guy was gone. Hannah remembered the gift that he was from the Lord, who heard her prayer when she pleaded with the Lord that her barrenness be removed. And she named him Samuel because it means God hears. God heard and answered her prayer by giving her this child. But what she and her husband knew right now was silence. Hannah knew from Samuel's first cry that this child would not be hers to keep. She had him dedicated to the Lord for the Lord's service, for his safekeeping. Samuel was to be his and not hers. But leaving Samuel in the hands of the high priest Eli with two bullies for sons had to be an incredible exercise of trust and faith for a mom. It would raise questions in any responsible parent's minds. Would these boys intimidate her son like they did to all the other people who came to the temple and bring their, bringing their offering? Would Eli, the father, take sides and only defend his birth sons, leaving Samuel, the foster child, without protection? Would the boys completely their, their complete disrespect for the temple and the ways of the Lord rub off on Samuel and leave him to reject faith in a God who had shown Hannah such great mercy and care? These questions probably came up every year when Hannah and her husband would travel to the temple to offer their yearly sacrifice to the Lord to remember how he passed over their sin. And seeing Samuel each year in his mini priest garment reminded her that her son was a servant of the Lord and a servant of God's people. She would even make him a little robe so that he would remember he was the Lord's. Her questions about Eli's sons and the wicked practices of the priests, you know, they probably still troubled her. But watching Samuel continue to grow and continue to serve the Lord faithfully reminded her that her son was being protected. He was being nurtured, if not by Eli, then most certainly by the Lord. Hannah loaned the Lord her son, and the Lord brought an unexpected return on her investment. He blessed her beyond belief with another son, and then another, and then another, and then a daughter, and then another. The once barren Hannah would not only see the trustworthiness of the Lord in taking care of Samuel, she would also experience the grace and the blessing of the Lord in giving her five more healthy children. Loaning her son to the Lord demanded an incredible amount of trust and faith. 
especially considering he would be raised by this foster family. She couldn't see the outcome. She wasn't a future forecaster. What she could see and what she did know was that the Lord was good, and he loved to give his people good gifts, gifts like Samuel and the rest of the pack that followed him. She had to bank on the Lord's goodness in spite of the circumstances. Some of us might be being asked to bank on the Lord's goodness in spite of the circumstances. And some of us might be clinging tightly to something the Lord is asking us to offer to him. What is that thing or that person or that gift or that treasure that you are hanging on tightly to? Are we asking questions like, Lord, I'm not sure I'm ready to give this up because what if it's not handled properly? Or what if I don't get to see the results of it? Whatever that thing or person or gift or treasure is, we, like Hannah, need to remember the faithfulness of God and how he has answered our prayers in the past, how good he has been to us. It is then that we will begin to loosen our grip and say to the Lord, here, this was yours all along. Do with it as you will, because I believe that you are good God loves when his children trust him above what their eyes can see. God loves when offerings are generated from a thankful heart. God loves worshipers who know their God as trustworthy and faithful and as a faithful and trustworthy father who delights in giving his children good gifts. He loves when we worship him like that. But not everyone was interested in knowing or worshiping the Lord. If you were to describe these boys as good-for-nothings, you wouldn't be far off. Ask any worshiper who was coming to the temple to bring their animal offering, their sacrifice to the Lord, and they would tell you the same thing. Eli's kids are trouble. The temple, which was supposed to be a place of worship to the Lord, had now become a place of greed and corruption. And at the center of all of this, a center of this problem was Hophni and Phinehas. As you approach the temple with your offering intended to thank the Lord for the peace that he had brought his people by delivering them from slavery and sin, a pit would probably quickly form in your stomach when you saw Hophni and Phinehas at the entrance of the tent. These boys' eyes were their stomachs. And the two of them standing there at the entrance of the tent must have been salivating as they saw the animal coming forward. They saw their New York strip steak coming toward them. And as the worshipers would come with their offering, Eli's boys were like pacing lions at the zoo, ready to dive into the carcass and have their fill. You see, the offering meant nothing to them. The Lord meant nothing to them. What meant the most to them was a satisfying meal. And it was a complete travesty to the original law of the Lord that he had put into place. 
Eli's kids had absolutely no regard for the law of the Lord. They even created their own customs, their own rituals and practices that would guarantee them a feast of plenty. Before the flesh of the animal was even finished boiling, they couldn't wait. In would go in their fork, and out would come the biggest portion for them. And to make matters even worse, they would slap God in the face by taking first place in the order of how things were done in the temple. You see, the fat, which since the beginning of God's law was only to be the Lord's, and it was to be burned first. It was God's because it represented the bounty and the blessing of the Lord that he provided his people. Fattened animals meant well-fed animals. Well-fed animals meant well-fed people. Fat on the bones of these animals meant that the Lord was actively taking care of his people. And when they would burn the fat first, the Lord would smell the smoke from that burning fat and delight in that pleasing smell. Here are my people who know me as their God who loves them, and they're giving me their first and their best. Not so with Hophni and Phinehas. Fat only meant to them marbleized steak. Fat equated to tasty. And they would say to the offerers, the people coming in, you want to burn the fat first to the Lord? You have to go through me first. If someone would refuse and say, I'm here to give this to the Lord first and then take whatever you want, they would threaten them with their size or their position and say, I'd like to see you try, little farmer. Don't you know who you're dealing with here? Instead of being a priest whose job it was to be a bridge between the Lord and his people, these boys became a barrier, an impasse, a roadblock between God and his people, and God was getting angry. And it only got worse as the years went by. Not only was the entrance place used to fill these boys' appetite for food, it was used to fill their appetite for pleasure. You might have heard them talking to each other and boasting with each other as they surveyed the various women whose job it was to keep the temple entrance clean. I had that one. I had that one. You see that one over there? She fought me a little bit, but eventually she gave in. Having no regard for not only the value of these women, but also taking advantage of their roles of serving in the temple, these boys abused their power as the priest's sons. And their practices and their conquests were being talked about around the nation. Outrageous, wicked. How could Eli allow this? How could the Lord allow this? And Eli's sons could care less. Their father, who was probably just as intimidated by them as the rest of Israel, finally, finally got around to warning them decades way too late. Don't you know that you're sinning against the Lord himself? How do you plan on handling his anger and his wrath for what you're doing? And Eli's boys just walked away. 
ignoring his warnings, probably scoffing as they left the conversation. <laughs> what a joke of a father. Do you see how he was like shaking as he was talking to us? Hey, Phineas, I hear there's a new temple servant. Let's go check her out. Hey, Hafni, let's go see what's on the menu for today. Their hearts were as hard as the temple floor. After years of idolatry and lust and greed, as their sin increased in the presence of the Lord, the Lord finally said, no more. God's slowness to anger had found an end. And the Lord left them to their own devices. The Lord kept their ears closed to Eli's warnings. The Lord did nothing to soften their hearts to the truth. The Lord stood silent and resolved, leaving them to their own sin. These men would have to die. There might be some here who are living like these two sons, according to the flesh. Your appetite for food, for stuff, for food, for women, for booze, for power, for more, has consumed you. And you've given up caring. Are you saying to yourself, the Lord is irrelevant or maybe ignorant. He doesn't really see what I'm doing, nor does he probably even care. I'm here to tell you, not only does he see every second of your active participation in unrepentant sin, every second is being logged in his accounting registry. These are sins and debts against a holy God. And there is no one who escapes the judgment and the retribution of the Lord because the Lord is a faithful and perfect God and he's just and he's fair and he will take action. Before your heart becomes rock hard to any warning, before your ears become deaf to what is being said here, turn from your wicked, selfish ways and allow God to break open your heart. Listen, repent, grieve, come to the Lord and say, have mercy on me, God, a sinner, and ask God to put your debt onto Jesus Christ, his perfect son. Put every wicked and selfish deed that you have done against the Lord onto Jesus because in his love, he's willing to take the rap. He's willing to take God's wrath for every wrong deed you've done. Allow Jesus' body and flesh to be your offering, your sacrifice at the temple of the Lord. Today, you have been warned. He doesn't take pleasure, the Lord, in the death of anyone. What he takes pleasure in is executing perfect justice. Don't wait for God's slowness of anger to come to an end. Death might be crouching at your door. The responsibility is yours. The question you need to answer is, my will or thy will? Eli, who is an old, passive priest and really an absent father, was being asked a similar question. Whenever a prophet came to you, it was like the police showing up at your front door. You knew something serious was about to come out of their mouth. 
And this was no exception. The man of God, the prophet, comes to Eli and says, in essence, the Lord has a message for you. What have you done to my house? Have you forgotten that I put priests in place to protect and shepherd my people? Did you forget the original story of how I rescued my people and I asked Moses' brother Aaron and his sons to represent me before the people as they worshiped the Lord? How have you strayed so far from how things were supposed to be that you thought I made you a priest so that you could eat well? How have you allowed your sons to take control, take over my law, my offerings, my ways, my people? Eli, clearly, you have forgotten who you are. And Eli, clearly, you have forgotten who I am. The prophet was announcing to Eli that the Lord was getting ready to clean house and make a new leadership plan. You see, Eli was banking on the assurance that God had made an original promise to the first priest that Eli's family tree would continue on in leading the priests forever. So Eli began to coast, began to eat well, ignore the kids, keep everyone happy, avoid conflict, let things go the way they've always gone. But Eli, of all people, the priest, the intercessor between God and his people for their sin, had forgotten what happens when sin goes unaddressed. It doesn't go away. It goes awry. And the Lord's plan was to make things right once again. He would bring in a new regime, a new family line, a faithful priest, one who knows the heart and mind of God and follows his ways, his directives, his law one who is active in caring for God's people and concerned about God's people's worship, one who would serve as a bridge and not a barrier between God and his people, one who will do what Eli's sons and Eli had clearly forgotten. The prophet says to Eli, how will you know this is true, Eli? The axe is ready to be swung at your family tree. Your sons are going to die at the same time, on the same day, in the prime of their life. And the rest of your family tree will no longer be entitled to eat my meat. They'll become beggars in the household of God. You see, for Eli, his sons and that assurance had taken first place over God. And whatever takes first place takes God's place. And Eli's sons, who would allow Eli that security in his comfy position as priest, had taken God's place. What takes first place in our lives? Is it security? Is it comfort? Is it banking on the fact that because I place my faith in Christ, I'm guaranteed a ticket to heaven, so who cares how I live? What is taking up so much space in our head or in our heart that there's no room for the Lord? What am I fixing my time and energy and pursuits on? Is it on the Lord who made heaven and earth 
Or is it on the things of heaven and earth? We are asked these questions as Eli has asked these questions. And Eli, like us, needed to hear this prophecy not as condemnation, but as warning. Whenever a prophet speaks, God was actually being gracious in providing his people an opportunity to repent and to change their ways. He was asking Eli to no longer coast, but rather live a life dependent not on bread, not on New York strip steak, but dependent on the Lord himself. After all, the reasons the priests even had food was because God was the one who made a provision for them to have food. And Eli had to face the facts that his term as priest had ended, but his trust in God's provision didn't have to. Because whispered throughout the story is a boy. A boy who in the midst of corruption and greed and sin was growing in the presence of the Lord. A boy who in spite of being exposed to horrible leadership was growing in stature and in favor with God and with man. As Eli's sons were so consumed with looking outside the temple to find out where their next meal was going to come from or who their next conquest was going to be, Samuel remained inside, feasting on the God who had brought him into this world. As Eli was concerned with what people or Israel might think of him, Samuel's mind was being filled with thoughts of the the Lord who made him. Samuel wore an ephod because the Lord was saying, this one is my representative. This one is Israel's better priest because this one is mine. And in the presence of the Lord, this boy Samuel would breathe, sleep, eat, and live, and grow to become the one who would usher in the kingdom of David. There's another boy whispered throughout the story who was found feasting on the Lord in the temple. And as he feasted, he grew in favor with God and with man. He was a boy that was on loan from his father because his father knew that in order for my children to be welcomed into my presence, an offering had to be made for their sin. And instead of the boy hoarding the offering for himself, he made himself the offering. His flesh would be cut up on a cross and his blood would be sprinkled on the altar for the people's sins. This boy would breathe, sleep, eat, and live in the presence of his father and grow to become the one who would usher in the kingdom of God. In this boy, Jesus is our hope. Our father in heaven, much like Hannah, loaned to us his son in order to make us his children. And he invites us to respond to him by offering our lives 
as living sacrifices. Our Father in heaven, unlike Eli's sons, didn't hoard his gifts for himself, but he generously gives us the gift of his presence through his spirit so that we would be overflowing with God's presence. And he asks us to listen to him, not to close our ears, but remain attentive to his voice. Our Father in heaven is calling each one of us to be his priests. We enter into the presence of our Father by wearing the righteous robes of his Son. And we can grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man as we wear those robes. And he tasks us with the duties of a priest. Proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Proclaim the gospel to a desperate and dying world, priests of the people of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. And you showed us your goodness by giving your son to us, loaning him to us so that we might be able to be in your presence. Thank you for the offering of his body and his blood. It shows how much you love us. And Father, may we be changed then to loosen our grip on the control of our lives and offer it to you as a living sacrifice. May we not close up our ears to the things you might be saying to us, but may we pay attention to your spirit and walk in your ways. And may we be priests, representatives of God to this desperate and dying world. May we proclaim how excellent and how great is our Father by giving us his Son. We ask all of this in his name. Amen.